What's up guys, Pastor John here. We pray that this message encourages you in your faith journey and we believe that God has an incredible plan for your life and our hope is that tools like this sermon will help you become who he has created you to be. Now listen, in order to truly flourish and thrive like God intends for your life, it takes community. What I mean by that is we don't believe that simply by attending church online alone that you're going to be able to become every bit of who God has created you to be and who you want to be to grow spiritually. You need other people. And we would love to help you connect with other people right here at Greenhouse. True growth happens when we're rooted in a community that supports, uplifts, and walks alongside us. And so with that in mind, we would love for you to join us in person on Sundays right here at Western High School or in microchurches throughout the week. Um, listen, if you don't live near our church here in South Florida, please reach out to us. We would love to help you find and thrive in a local faith community near you. We're excited to partner with you as we all become passionate followers of Jesus. God bless you. Thank you, guys. Well, everybody hop to your feet. Turn your, with me in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58. And we'll read verse 12. We'll read the short verse, and then we'll come back and work our way through Isaiah 58, 12. And it says it like this. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. I'll read it again. It says, your people, everybody say me. Everybody say I. Perfect. Say I. I will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. Everybody say I will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Jesus, we thank you because your sacrifice isn't just good to us, but it must become good through us. So Father, in this moment, speak. Father, decrease me and increase more of your spirit. Holy Spirit, we need to hear from you. No one needs to hear from another pastor but we do need to hear what God has to say. So speak, Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody says, Amen. you can have your seats. Thank you, guys. If you haven't been able to be here for the past few weeks, I'll catch you up. We find ourselves in the midst of a series called Restored. Everybody say Restored. If you were here last week, Pastor John reminded us that God has come to restore our rest. But he said this line in there that I think really captures the need for restoration throughout all of the areas of our lives. He says, we are often looking for external solutions to our internal angst. We are often looking for things on the outside to solve the problems that are going on inside of us. And it's, it doesn't just end with our rest and our need for that. We are often looking for external solutions for our external angst that has become internal angst. By that, I mean, have you ever seen anything on the news and you looked at it and it bothered you on the inside, right? Like it is something external from who you are, but the fact that it is unsolved, it is unrectified, it bothers you on your insides. And even then we are looking for solutions to this external and internal angst caused by, in many cases, the injustices of the world around us. And we're looking around and we're looking for solutions. And the worst part about all of it is, is even the solutions we come up with are terrible. Even our best options fail. Even the things that we think should change everything let us down. 
If you don't know what that means, well, every medication has side effects. Have you ever been watching a TV commercial and you see a medication for an illness that you might have? See, that happened to me. I was watching the TV. I'm an asthmatic, if you don't know. And I was watching the TV, and there was an asthma medication commercial that came on. I was like, okay. Now, there's a person at the beach having a time of their life. It, why are they always at the beach and in a park? Why can't the medication make me happy at home? Anyway, but they're always outside at a beach in a park. And she's breathing, taking these really deep breaths. And then we get to the end of the commercial where they read 9 million side effects in 12 seconds. And one of the side effects was shortness of breath. I don't know if you know what asthma is. We might as well cause asthma shortness of breath. And so this medication for my asthma will give me more asthma. Thank you so much, because you're going to charge me a lot of money for it too. But see, it's just not the medications. It's our solutions to injustice. It's our solutions to the problems going on in our country. It's our solutions to the problem going on in the world. You see, we have billion and trillion dollar corporations who harm more than they help. We have people who name the name of Jesus who look nothing like him. We have jobs that pay us enough but not enough to live. We have sicknesses in our, we have all of this stuff. And all the solutions we offer do not work. This is where the people of Israel find themselves in Isaiah 58. In Isaiah 58, the people of Israel have needs, they have wants, they have desires, and they are doing everything they know how to do to get their problems solved, and nothing's working. If you look at it, it's so bad for them that in Isaiah 58, 3, the Bible quotes their complaint. It quotes the beef that the people have with God. The, their complaint is, number one, why have we fasted, but you have not seen? We have denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed. This is the complaint the people of Israel have to God. They're saying, hey, we're fasting, and we're even doing all the spiritual things we know how to do, and they're not working. Have you ever been in a spot in your life where everything you're doing isn't working? Where you're saving and the ends still aren't adding up, and you're praying and no provisions coming, and everything to meet the needs that you have isn't working. This is where the people of Israel find themselves, at a place with problems and no solution needing restoration and getting no answers from God. See, when God finally does reply, his reply isn't even, I'm sorry. It's not, a, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't get your text. It's not, a, you know, I, I typed the message and I forgot to hit send. It's none of that. His response isn't a sorry, but he explains why he isn't doing anything. And it is his explanation that gets us to the crux of the matter today. See, in his explanation, he does, he points out two things. He says, hey, there are two ways you can go in your life when you're going the wrong way. And all of us and everyone who claims the name of Jesus, there are two roads. We'll call the roads false faith and true faith. If you like the word religion, which I do, we'll call it false religion and true religion. And God says, the reason, the reason I'm not answering you guys is because you guys keep asking me for stuff. And you're asking for the wrong things. He said, you're asking, I you're asking for, I'm not giving you nothing because that's not what you need. You don't need more of that. That's probably what got you in the problem in the first place. He says, I have a solution, but he elaborates on this in Isaiah 58, 4 to 5. He, he kind of sort of pokes a jab at him. He says, what good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds buried in the wind. You dress up in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? 
Do you really think this will please the Lord? Other translations that are more liberal would say, you fast and pray, but you swing a mean fist. They would say, you, oh, you work your workers far too hard. You see, now you might be looking and go, oh, this isn't me. Thank God. God, like, I don't fast at all. Like, this isn't. I can't be fasting wrong. Like, this, this isn't me at all. I was saying, but God, I fast and I pray and I do all the right things. And thank God that for the majority of us or for some of us, that's not where we find ourselves. But what hurts is the fact that that's where the global church, at least in this country, finds itself. That's where the Western church finds itself. It finds itself in a position where the society knows more about what we are against than what we're for, who we dislike than who we like, and what we don't like about them more than what we love about him. That is where the society around us finds itself. And God's problem with the people of Israel was he was like, hey, I'm asking you guys to be the solution to the problems of the world, but you're doing the exact opposite. You see, their fake religion or faulty religion, the problem that it presents for all of us, no matter who you are, is faulty religion adds spiritual brokenness to a broken world. A religion that does not care for the poor, a religion that only does what it only matters to us on the inside, is a faith that adds brokenness to a broken world. When the church is supposed to be the place of solutions, but instead it becomes the place of many people's trauma, we have added brokenness to a broken world. When the hungry and the destitute and the unhoused come to us looking for aid, and we turn up our noses wondering what they're going to do with the money we worked for, we're adding brokenness to a broken world. And again, this might not be many of us in the room, but it wasn't all of Israel either. It wasn't the entire nation that was like this. It couldn't have been. But everyone was fasting and praying and didn't get an answer. Why? Because it doesn't take much of a bad thing to ruin a good group of people. It only takes, as they would say, one rotten apple to spoil the bunch. This problem was so big to God because he said, hey, listen, I don't want my people to be known like this. And if that was Israel, what, what more the church, the ones who he sent his only son to die for, what does he want us to be known by? And so God, after responding to them, he actually gives them a solution. And one of my greatest loves about God is anytime there is something fake or anytime there is something broken, he responds by inputting his truth. He never leaves us in a space after he critiques us to leave us there to wallow. But immediately he provides a solution. And if you're wondering, hey, Pastor Malik, what is the solution to the injustice in the world around us? Look around the room. Everybody say me. And everybody say them. The solution to the injustices in the world around us is in this room. You see, it's not just this room, but it's in the thousands of rooms across the world across the country. It is in caves, hidden in places where they have underground churches in China. The solution to the problems of the world, the solution to the injustices of the world lies in the church. And if you're wondering how, well, you see, when God saw the need for our redemption from sin, he sent his son to die for us. However, when he sees the needs of the world around us, he sends his son through us. Jesus is death will not fix all the problems of the world. 
He came to fix our internal problems so that we don't have to worry about those quite as much so that we could look at the external problems in the world around us. If you're taking notes and you're wondering what the big idea for today is, here is the big idea. In a world wounded by brokenness, God has called us to be architects of healing and agents of repair. In a broken world, God has called his church to be the fixer, if you will. And the problem we had with the people of Israel is that they had separated these two realities. They had separated their spiritual reality from the reality of bringing justice in the world around them. When if you look back at before they were even a people, and God calls out Abram, and he says, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And like them then, we now forget this reality. We forget that through us, the people of God, all the nations of the world are to be blessed. And we cannot separate these two realities. In the Bible, there are two words. There are this word righteousness and there is the word justice. And in our modern society today, we have separated these two things. We say, oh no, a church's response to homelessness has nothing to do with how they view the Bible. And a church's response to abuses all throughout the world has nothing to do with their theology. That isn't the way it works in the Bible. It is so intrinsically linked that the words righteousness and justice in Hebrew have the same root. Basically, they start at the same place. It is so intrinsically linked that in Psalm, God said, it says this about God, his righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. There is no theology of the God of the Bible that does not include justice. There is no theology of knowing the God of the Bible that does not include having a heart for repairing that which is broken. So in the world of false religion, God looks at the people of Israel in Isaiah 58, and he says, your religion isn't working because it's not complete. He says, you're coming with half of a faith. He says, no wonder it's not working. Half of nothing works. If, we, if I was to go outside of your car or remove half of your car, I bet you don't get home. At least not in that car. If we were to walk out of here, half of how we walked in here, I bet our life would be different. The reason so many of the faith around us and the faith that we see in this text is powerless is because it only has half of what it needs to thrive. It only has half of what it needs to survive. A true faith based on the God of the Bible requires righteousness and justice. So in the face of a world that needs justice, here shows up the people of God. And so this is God's solution. God's solution lies in the people. He says, hey, I'm getting your request and your needs, but I'm also getting the needs of the people you were supposed to meet. Imagine if you submitted a PTO request to your boss, a benefit from your job. And on one hand, he has your PTO request, and on the other hand, he has 97 emails he sent you to take action on. And you're like, oh, but you know, I'll get, I'll get around to it when I get around to it. And he says, listen, you did earn this PTO by clocking in hours. You haven't earned this PTO by putting in the work that those hours required of you. That's the situation the people of Israel find themselves in. They're asking God for the benefits of their service. And by all means, they put in the hours. 
Those are their benefits. But God is looking at the balance and he's saying, okay, I see your service. You have done nothing to warrant this. This is why he's silent, because the benefits aren't adding up with the work. And now we do not operate in a faith that is works-based. You are saved by grace through faith. No matter who you are, when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are saved. However, this passage has a lot of if-then statements in it. You see, this passage isn't about salvation, but it is about the thriving of a people named by the name of God. No matter if they practiced justice or not, they were the people of God. But they weren't thriving and he wasn't talking to them. And in the same way, we will find ourselves in this same place, saved and stagnant, because we haven't taken a step to move in the way God is moving. And so if that's what faulty religion does, true religion looks like being an architect of healing and an agent of repair. Or repeat that phrase again. You see, because that's what you're supposed to be, an architect of healing and an agent of repair. True religion shows up in the lives of the fatherless and provides for the orphans. True religion cares for the widows. That's what James would say. See, this isn't just an Old Testament theme, this justice thing. It is a very New Testament reality. That's where I got the phrase true religion. It's what James calls it. James says true religion that is undefiled cares for the widows. It's what Jesus does in every waking moment of his ministry. He is practicing justice by setting the wrong right. True religion looks at those who have needs and realizes that in our plenty that we can meet them. True religion looks at those who are missing out on life because of oppression and fights for them and works for them and does everything possible to meet their needs. That is true religion. In the face of a religion that didn't do anything, that wasn't solving anything, God's response was, if you do what I tell you to do, you probably won't have these needs to begin with. True religion must be practiced by the people of God. So if you're wondering, well, what about all the injustices in the world? The solution must lie with you. He sent Jesus once. And he's not coming back again to fix injustices. When he comes back, nobody's fixing anything but him. So in this moment, in between when he first showed up and when he shows up again, he is showing up in the lives of the people around us through his church. And so the question is, if there is a situation that we're wondering how it hasn't been rectified, how it hasn't been solved, it's because the people of God haven't showed up to it yet. Now... This justice has to be done God's way. We find ourselves in an era where everyone's trying to do justice in ways that almost like medication with bad side effects keep breaking things. Justice cannot be done outside of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Any justice done without the power of God is manly vengeance. And vengeance gets no one anywhere. Justice must be done by those who know the just one. Mind you, the Bible says he is the only just one. So he is the only one who can appropriately look at and figure out justice. So any justice that is devoid of a philosophy of Jesus Christ is revenge and vengeance. That's why 
We look at all the people who do justice, and all it is is the oppressed becoming oppressors, and the cycle continues over and over and over again because that's not justice. Justice must include praise and protest. Justice must include abiding and advocacy. Justice must include truth and transformation. If we have just one side of that, we are missing the picture all together. Justice has to be holistic and come from an inspiration of God. And see, God's not slow. He isn't ignorant and he knows that if he just tells us to do justice, we will interpret it and do vengeance and then come to him and say, God, we fasted and we did justice. Look, we, we murdered everyone we don't like. Did, do you like what we did, God? And if you're wondering, that's kind of weird. Read some history. That's what we do. And like, what well, we did it, God. He's like, what, what are y'all doing? And so before we even messed up, he provided a solution. He says, hey, hey, before you guys leave this conversation and go do what you want to do, here is what justice looks like. He says, now, this is the kind of fasting that I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. That was for me. It's okay. You see, a true faith is a faith that not only knows what God says, but does something about it his way. And so it's not us moving everyone from their homes. No, no, no. It's us figuring out a way to get the people out of the street and into the homes that already exist. That is justice. The justice that God has does not leave anyone on the bottom shelf because he has room for equality and equity for everyone. And if this sounds political, I'm sorry, but it's Bible. It is who God is. He cannot separate justice from who he is. From the moment that mankind fell, he wanted justice. And he was the one who promised it. In Genesis 3.15, he goes, hey, I'll make it right. I'll cross the serpent's head, and he might bruise your heel, but I will give you life. He goes, no, no, no. God needs justice. Why does he need justice? Because in and of himself, as a holy God, he cannot function when things aren't balanced. He does not have a gear for imbalance. To him, that is unrighteousness, because righteousness and justice are linked in his mind. To him, it is sin. Because in his mind, those things don't work together. Everything that we do as a people, everything that we know, everything that we have taken in as theology must flow through us. If it stops at us, some may question whether or not it has transformed us at all. If the restoration that God does as you are restored stops at you, look again and see if he's truly fixed the things that are broken. See, this is what James says. James says, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Righteousness and justice. Righteousness is keeping yourself unstained from the world. Justice is looking after orphans and widows in their distress. Jesus would have said, Jesus said, hey, you know, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me drink. I was in prison and no one came to visit me. And the disciples said, whoa, whoa, whoa. When were you hungry and we didn't get you something to drink? When were you thirsty? Like, he said, when, when did this happen? 
And this response you see, you're still looking wrong. If you didn't do it for the least of these, you, you didn't do it for me. This is what Christianity is about, and it's what we've always done. This isn't a new message to the faith. Orphanages were started by Christians. Schools were started by Christians. Nonprofit institutions, saving soldiers on the battlefields of war, Christians. This has always been our call. And what breaks my heart and what I think bothers God is in a world where Christians have more than we've ever had, we do less than we've ever done. And this isn't a knock on anyone, but I hope it wakes, because it's waking me up. I hope it wakes us all up to say, Father, what, what is it? What is it that you want? How can I jump in? How, how can I have pure and undefiled religion? See, James Cone would have picked this up, and the black theologian James Cone would have said, in Christ, God enters human affairs and takes sides with the oppressed. As we find ourselves as believers in Christ, we embody his same mission. Because God showed up and entered the affairs of all of us and solved the problem. One person would have described justice as taking on the problems of others as your own. And it's not taking on the burdens of the world. Jesus did that. But it is realizing that as he took on the burdens, he handed you the solution. And if you take on their problems with the solution, there is no burden. Because the problem is already solved through him. That is true justice. So I wonder, as we are in Christ, how can we enter the affairs of those around us and take sides with the oppressed? Take sides with the marginalized, the unhoused, those who have needs. One of the blessings of this church is we are a church that embodies this. This isn't trying to toot our own horn, but that's kind of sort of fluency that we have. So I pray it's something we're doing, and we are. This is who we are. And we invite everyone, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what age you find yourself, to jump in and get a part of this. Why? Because it's God moving in the earth. It's him solving the problems of humanity. It's him repairing that which is broken. And it's him opening the eyes that are blind. It is God moving on behalf of his people. It's true faith. Embraces God's call to serve the lost and the least. True faith extends love, health, and justice to those around us. True faith lives beyond focusing on our own needs and lives for the needs of others. True faith loves, gives, and fights to bring healing and restoration to a broken world. And if you're wondering, okay, what do you want me to do? That's a verse we read earlier, luckily. God's call to us in a broken world is to rebuild the deserted ruins of our cities. And then we will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. This is the call of the church in the world today. The call of the church in the world today isn't to keep saving ourselves. He kind of sort of did that once and for all, for eternity. The call of the church is to rebuild the deserted ruins around us. And then we will be known as rebuilders of walls and restorers of broken homes. Now this may sound like a lot. And this isn't a request for all of us to take on the affairs of the world. It's a request for us to be actively engaged in what God is already doing. 
He is already restoring a broken world. He is already helping blinded eyes to see. He is already meeting the needs for single mothers. He is already healing bodies. He is already restoring minds. He's asking for us to be actively engaged. Hey God, what are you already doing? How can I help in the work that you're already making happen? Active engagement requires stillness. It requires listening, but it also comes with a blessing. See, God just doesn't say, hey, you guys do this, and then the balance is even. No, no, no. He says, you do this, and your life will change. He says, you do this, and this will happen. If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. He says, hey, listen, your, your night will become bright. All the areas of your life will shine. You're like, oh, that's very poetic. Well, Eugene Peterson, in his message, we will call it a paraphrase. In his message paraphrase of this text, he says it like this. He says, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I will give you a full life in the emptiest of places, firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins. Rebuild and renovate. Make the community livable again. I don't know about the testimony of your life, but if at the end of my life, when they lower me six feet below the earth, they say his life fixed everything. Because he knew the one who could fix everything. I would have had a life well lived. If you're wondering how you can impact the world, how you can change the world around you, step into restoring a broken world and you will see lives change that you did not even know existed. This is the legacy of the people of God. It's not our buildings. It's not our organizations. It's not our denominations. I love all of that. The legacy of the people of God is restoration for the world around us. That is what God wants from us. And if at the end of your life, like a ship flowing through the ocean, the wake behind you is healing and restoration, God will be pleased. That is how you get to the end. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's not because you attended Marco Church every week. Please keep doing that. It's not because you made Pastor John smile. No, please keep putting a smile on his wonderful face. But you will hear well done when your life changed lives like his did. When you look like your father in heaven. It's why the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your father that is in heaven. This is the legacy of the people of God in the earth. So, here's what I'm asking you to do. I need us to ask God a simple question. God, in the areas you have placed me right now, how can I bring healing, restoration, and repair? I'll pause. Why won't you take this down? Take a picture of it. Write it down in your phone. This is a question that we need to ask, not just today, but in every season of our lives. My prayer over the past few weeks as I got ready for this day 
was that God, over this next week, would make this abundantly clear for all of us. See, because it doesn't just have to be people across the seas. It's our families that need a restoration. It's our friend groups that need a restoration. It's our followings on social media that need a restoration. And he's going to answer. So the next step is the hard step. After he answers, my second ask is that you say yes. Not how, not when, not where, but yes. He already has the how, the when, and the where figured out. All he's waiting for is your yes to take a step in the direction he's calling you to go. He's asking for a church and a people that when he presents the needs of the world around him, they say yes. Now, this call to justice won't fix all the problems of the world around us. Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you. But just because it won't fix everything doesn't mean we don't try to fix what we can. It's kind of weird to say, well, nothing's going to happen. I won't do anything at all. Okay. That's very faith-filled. Instead, no, no, we step out in the areas where we do have impact, the areas where we already are, and we bring healing and restoration. I bet if all of us in the areas and the spheres where we find ourselves stepped out, there would be so many more needs met than if we had stayed back on our own little siloed islands. And so this, recall, this calls for us to do something we don't do a lot today. It calls for us to slow down and to listen to what God is saying and to move. It's often impossible to ask this question and be moving a million miles a minute. It's impossible to ask this question when we don't have margin in our lives. It's impossible to ask this question when we don't Sabbath, when we don't rest, and when everything around us is so loud that we cannot hear God's voice. This is why the church kind of sort of has become stagnant in this area over the past few years. Because a lot of us are distracted. Now it's not all of our faults. They gave us these things in our pockets and in our hands, and we have so many screens that our brains can't even function the way they're supposed to. So take a moment. To put down the phone, put down the iPad, turn the TV off, and say, God, what is it that you're asking me to do? The places you place me right now, how can I bring healing and repair? Because church history and the history of the world is changed by people who slow down to fix problems. We find ourselves in the middle of Black History Month, and I'd like to remind us that Martin Luther King Jr. slowed down. And he slowed down enough to start a civil rights movement that brought injustice to its knees. And Brian Stevenson slowed down as he graduated Harvard and said, you know, there might be a need that I can meet. And he spent himself for those who were unjustly and wrongfully convicted of crimes they would not have done. When we slow down, we change the world around us because we can slow down and say, God, what is it that you want me to do? Not what is it that I can do. Well, you can do anything. But what does he want you to do? The list of people who slowed down and changed the world is innumerable. Honestly, you're surrounded by some of them in this room today. Some of our micro leaders slowed down every week so that we could have community in their homes. Our church members slowed down every week to meet the needs of the lost and the least. As a community, we slowed down to meet the needs of a mother who had just moved into a new place so that we could supply the needs that she had here and now in the earth. This may seem daunting. 
It may seem like a lot, but it's that's why it's the areas you already are. He's put something in your hand. He has given you access to something. Use that. Moses had a rod. David had some stones. But with the rod and their stones, history was changed. Goliath got knocked off his feet by what David just happened to have in his hands. People of Israel got freed by just what Moses happened to have in his hands. I wonder what God can do with the things he has in your hands. Let's not look to our neighbors and wonder what they have in their hands. Because what they have and what you have will be two different things. You wonder what, the, what I mean by that. Well, if you put a basketball in my hands, you get 0 for 100 shooting and someone who runs like a newborn giraffe. But if you put a basketball in LeBron James' hands, you get five rings over the course of 20 years and the leading scorer in history. Some of us aren't public speakers. I'm not gonna ask you to put a microphone in your hand, but you love having someone over and opening your door. Maybe hospitality is what he has put in your hands. This church has arms and hands open to meet so many various needs. If God has put children who need tutoring on your heart, we have firewall for you. If it is the unhoused and those who have nowhere to live, we are partnered with Broward Outreach. If you're looking to supply needs for the families and the communities around you, we partner with Care Portal week after week after week. And if you're wondering where to get started, I thank God you're sitting where you're sitting today. Because if you ask someone in the room, they can tell you exactly what to do with what God has put in your hands. Do not limit what he has given you. Do not let who you think you cannot be limit what he has called you to be. See, I say this because I sometimes look at what's in my hands and wonder if it's enough to do what God has called me to do. See, as I was preparing for the sermon, I was sitting at my desk and I had kind of sort of closed my notes on this and had opened a Word document for a paper I was writing in school. The paper was due at midnight. It was a Sunday evening, and I had zero out of six pages written. Why? Because I'm the problem. And at zero out of six pages written, and I don't know if you watch SpongeBob, but it reminded me of the episode of SpongeBob where he's sitting down and he says, what I learned in boating school is. And he cannot get past, I couldn't get past my little heading on my little Turabian paper. And I called my wife, I'm like, babe, I'm going to drop out of school. It's my first semester back. I was like, I'm going to drop out. I cannot do this. And she reminded me that I wasn't asked to do anything. That God could do something with what I had given him. So I got off the phone and I sat down in my office and I prayed and I said, God, if you've called me to do this, if you've called me to be in this program and to finish this degree, make it happen. And I'll be gosh darn. He made it happen. I sat there and it's like I remember how to write for the first time in my life. And it's not because I'm that smart. It's because he is that good. And you see, it's not just things like this that call us to feel this thing called imposter syndrome. But it's when we try to tackle generational curses or patterns of uninformed the trauma that have been passed down through our families. It's when we look at a broken world around us and we go, I cannot do anything with this. He's not asking you to be Neo to be Luke Skywalker, to be Anakin Skywalker, to be the last airbender. No, he's asking you to be you. And if you say, but Pastor Malik, he's still working on me. That does not mean he cannot work through you. My God is big enough 
to work on you and through you all at the same time. So if it's the last time you hear from me in this church, it won't be. But if it is, if it takes me home after this, ask God, what is in my hands and how do I move? How do I impact the world around me? When we started the series, we started with a man named Peter in the book of Acts. If there's anyone who should have felt inadequate to do what God had called them to do, it was Peter. If you don't know, Peter denied Jesus three times on the night Jesus was murdered. It was so bad that a little girl walked up to Peter and he curses her flat foot out. I don't even know this Jesus guy. And he takes off and runs away. But on the first day that the church as an establishment is founded, there was one man who delivers a sermon and it's Peter. And if you're wondering how long it was between when he denied Jesus and when he preached his sermon, about 50 days. It wasn't that long between what we would consider one of his greatest failures and what is his greatest triumph. All that happened in between then and then is he met with Jesus. And Jesus reminded him of one thing. Jesus said, Peter, I know you have some issues, but do you love me? Peter, you don't have it figured out, but do you love me? If you love me, keep moving. If you love me, keep working. If you love me, keep serving. That is the call. It doesn't matter that you don't have it figured out. He's going to figure it out. If God has given you a dream to impact the world around you and you do not know how the ends are going to meet, that's not your job. It is your job to take the first step and you will stand still and see the salvation of the Lord in and through your life. See, this message is so big and it is so strong in Scripture because it is a message that Jesus felt that he embodied. Jesus is sitting in the synagogue one day and a scroll comes over his direction. And he actually happened to read Isaiah himself. And he opens the scroll and he identifies and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release of the captives and recovery of slight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus embraced the call to righteousness and justice. It's what he felt his whole thing was about. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him to do these specific things. And if you're in the room and you're like, I love all this restoration stuff, but I need it to happen in me. I want to close on a sermon that was really focused on us doing what the most important thing is and focusing on him. He will meet your needs. He will restore what is broken. He came and died so that the voices of others no longer could hold you captive, so that your fears and your feelings of inadequacy could no longer shackle you so that you became stagnant. He came and died so that sin could no longer be your master, so that freedom could know your name, and so that you could have a life and life more abundantly. He came and he died so that you could be restored, and so that your families could be restored through you, so that your jobs could be restored through you. If you're a teacher and you find yourself in a classroom every day of the week, there are students who are going to walk in this week who need to be pointed to the great restorer. Ask him and he will make it work. If you're a student in a classroom, in a college class, you're surrounded by classmates every week who are racked with anxiety and depression and fear, 
point them towards a great restorer. If you're like me and you work in corporate America, you are surrounded by people every day who are showing up to work their eight hours after the worst moments of their lives. Point them to the great restorer. This restoration that we are talking about and we will continue to talk about for the duration of this series must happen through you. And if you don't feel adequate, and if you don't feel like you can do it, go to God. And I guarantee you that in that moment, he will show you what to do with what he has given you. We're going to close and sing a song of worship, but if you don't feel like singing, I invite you to sit down and to ask this question. God, in the areas that I find myself in today, how can I bring healing, repair, and restoration? We're going to sing and we're going to worship in the presence of God, but I invite us to ask this question because there are some of our families who are looking for generational curses to be broken by our yes to his answer. There are some jobs and some career fields that are looking for our yes to his answer. Someone is probably looking for a job that will be supplied through your yes. The sin of the world around us could be pointed to Jesus through a simple yes. But let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we magnify and glorify your great name. There is no problem that you cannot fix. There is no sickness that you cannot heal. There is no need that you cannot meet. There is no mountain that you cannot move. There is no ocean that you cannot part. Honestly, the question really is, is anything too hard for God? God, call us, commission us to bring light to the dark world around us, to let our light so shine so that people will look and glorify you above. Father, send us. We will go here we are send us send us father we want to be your hands and feet in the world around us in the name of Jesus God if any of us are battling fear if we feel inadequate and like we cannot do it in the name of Jesus we pray for boldness by the power of the Holy Spirit we pray for confidence by the power of the Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and that still lives in us. Move by your Spirit over each and every one of us in the magnificent name of Jesus we pray. Amen.